It's not often I make time to read a whole article from a print journalist. But it, it, it was a strange experience this morning to come across John Harris's piece in The Guardian by the following route. I was thinking about photographs uh, of Cork today. I have a Twitter list called Beautiful Cork Today. And I, they, that's a list of people whose photography I admire. So I went there to see what they had put up about Cork today. And a guy called Joe O'Shea retweeted a communication from Marina Hyde, who I found out subsequently is a columnist in the Guardian newspaper. And this is what Marina quoted. Moneyed wreckers cynically manipulating a mess of resentments that their own politics triggered back in the 1980s. And when I got to there, I thought, that their own politics triggered back in the 1980s, I thought, this has to be interesting. Here's somebody, and who's written this piece? So I then clicked on, oh, it's in The Guardian. Right, so I click on The Guardian, and I come across a heading that says, rich, reckless Brexit zealots are fighting a new class war. Uh, by John Harris, who I've never heard of. And then another head heading, the likes of Liam Fox seek a Britain that would be disastrous for many Leave voters. These ultra-free marketeers must be stopped. And I thought, this is a campaign. He's naming names. What's this about? And I went on to read the whole of the article. And I have to say, I've been so uh, struck by John Harris's piece, which you can read, 6th of August 2018, which seems to have generated 2,908 comments already, if I'm reading the, the online version of The Guardian correctly. And I thought, wow, I wonder what my favourite political columnists from the, from the UK will think about this. So I went to uh, Simon and Jana, and I sent them information about it. And then I thought, look, that, that's no good. I want to do something a bit more. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I'm going to podcast about John Harris's article. John Harris can always write me, or The Guardian can always write me a cease and desist if they think this is inappropriate. But I'm going to read the whole of John Harris's piece. I may or may not pause in the middle of it to make a few comments of my own. I'll try and not do that too often, because otherwise we won't get from beginning to end. But this is what John Harris has to say. We now know it beyond doubt. However, we leave the European Union. The result is likely to be damage that Britain is in no position to absorb. Job losses are certain. 
A stack of Brexit impact reports from local authorities obtained last week by Sky News identified a catalogue of dire consequences from farms in Shetland that could be plunged into impossible losses through social care services in East Sussex already being hit by labour shortages to the M26, that's a roadway, a, a motorway, to the M26 being turned into a giant lorry park. Now let me pause for parenthesis and say that there's a hyperlink here to, to the, to the catalogue of dire consequences. So I presume if you boot up this, this article, you'll be able to see a whole list of them. And you'll also be able to find additional information on social care services in East Sussex, which is the south east of England. And the, the social care services being hit by labour shortages is because a whole lot of people come from other countries uh, to, to work in the health service in the, in the UK. OK, let me carry on. With his characteristic emollients, the Trade Secretary Liam Fox says a no-deal Brexit is now more likely than a negotiated deal. Jeremy Hunt reckons we could fall off the same cliff edge by accident and reports about stockpiled food and medicines attest to the awfulness of any such prospect. March 2019 then could well mark a watershed point in a drawn-out disaster. By the way, March 2019 is the date at which Britain is at present committed to leaving the EU. But so, in a different way, could somehow nullifying the results of the referendum and staying put. It would be comforting to think that what George Orwell called the gentleness of the English civilization would mean that an overturning of 2016's outcome would be grudgingly swallowed by the vast majority of Leave voters, but I would not be so sure. UKIP, that's United Kingdom Independence Party, a what would be a, a right-wing racist organization, UKIP is back in the polls and has newly strengthened links to the far right. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Boston in Lincolnshire, the town whose 75.6% vote for Brexit made it the most leave-supporting place in the UK. Many of the people I spoke to were already convinced that Brexit was doomed and full of talk of betrayal. Some of what I heard was undeniably ugly, though much of it was based on an undeniable set of facts. People were asked to make a decision, and they did. The referendum was the one meaningful political event in millions of voters' lifetimes, and we were all assured that its result would be respected. Whatever the noise about a second referendum, this is the fundamental reason why the likelihood of Brexit interrupted remains dim. In other words, too many people would feel betrayed and what respect would they have for politics in future? This is an interesting point, very interesting point. Very interesting point. John carries on. If we take that as a given, anyone involved in progressive politics ought to focus on one imperative above all others. 
Oh, thank goodness it's just one because there are so many others. One imperative above all others. The defeat of the zealots who saw the dismay and dissatisfaction of so many potential Leave voters opportunistically seized on it. And now want to pilot the country into a post-Brexit future that is completely inimical to their future. We all know who they are. Here's a list. In the Conservative Party, their strength is built on a bedrock of true believers in a weird kind of anarcho-Thatcherism. Joseph Rees-Mogg, Fox, an array of MPs too obscure to mention. Their de facto leader now seems to be that vacant opportunist Boris Johnson. Close enough for regular chats sit Nigel Farage and the increasingly hapless insurance tycoon Aaron Banks. Nigel Farage is behind UKIP. We might think of them as the reckless right. The left has failed to really go for them for far too long. Part of the explanation perhaps lies in both an aversion to offending Leave supporters who might vote Labour and a sense that Johnson, Farage et al. are an integral part of the crisis that may yet bring down the government. By implication, I think it means that, uh, well, that way we'll get a Labour government. Continuing. As a result, these people may have been able to exert an influence on politics and by extension the future of the country way beyond their merit. It is time they were battled with. Two things pull together some of the most notable members of this coalition. Personal wealth, sufficient to ride out Brexit with ease, and increasingly evident ties to Steve Bannon. Remember Steve Bannon? US ideologue underpinning Trump? And increasingly evident ties to Steve Bannon, the former strategy guru to Donald Trump? who is now spending half his time in Europe and plotting the arrival of something called The Movement, a pan-European populist organisation. Bannon has reportedly been talking to Johnson and hailed him as a key player on the world stage. Oh, I remember that. His encounter with Rhys Mogg, that's a Tory MP who's yeah, one of the leaders of the Brexit MPs. His encounter with Rhys Mogg late last year similarly convinced him that the MP for North East Somerset, that's in the West Country, not that million miles from, from Bath, actually I think Bath is in North East Somerset, convinced him that the MP for North East Somerset and descendant of, of coal mine owners is one of the best thinkers in the conservative movement on a global basis. Oh, I can see what John Harris is doing. He's actually talking about the reality of the class position of Rhys Moggs, Johnson, these people. Their position in, the, in, in you know, whose interests do they best represent, I think is what he's getting at. He carries on. Keeping Bannon's company highlights the extent to which these politicians are blazing a trail for a right-wing politics that has decisively left behind any semblance of moderation and fully embraced the reckless mindset of the revolutionary. <laughs> I love that. 
a reckless mindset of the revolution. Coming from John Harris, who I'm making an assumption is, is a member of the left, to talk about the reckless mindset of the revolutionary reminds me of the difference in political tradition between uh, the UK and France or Germany. There is a reason why the hard... Uh, sorry, and I should go back and say, look, and it, it was... The peaceful road to socialism was described by Marx and Engels in their letters as being relevant to the UK. England in particular, I think they spoke of. Whereas in Europe, certainly Marx and Engels believed that the way in which the ruling class would behave ensured that there would be the revolutions would be bloody. That is my memory of, uh, of, of that whole issue. Uh, John Harris continues, There is a reason why the hard Brexiteers cannot coherently explain their vision of Brexit. Their chief aim is to break as many things as possible in the belief that from the rubble might arise a kind of flag-waving, small-state, free-market utopia that even the blessed Margaret might have found unpalatable. The blessed Margaret is Margaret Thatcher. Rising from the rubble. This is indeed the view of the ideologues who, together with Steve Bannon, are working to break down all of the institutions which, from their point of view, have dominated the post-Second World War world and even longer. So, separation of powers, freedom of the press, uh, and, and all those things that we kind of take for granted in a democratic society because they believe democracy hasn't worked. Anyway, let me go back from this idea that in the belief that from the rubble might arise something. This variety of what Naomi Klein famously called the shock doctrine sits behind Rees Mogg's breathtaking view of when the supposed upsides of exiting the EU might materialise. Quote, we won't know the full economic consequences for a very long time. The overwhelming opportunity for Brexit is over the next 50 years. End quote. The sentiment is akin, akin to something Che Guevara might have uttered on the eve of the Cuban Revolution, but there is a twist. The city outfit Rees Moggs co-founded in 2007 and from which he makes a great deal of money is so unimpressed with Brexit-related opportunities that it has set up two investment funds in Ireland. You can smell it a mile away, the odorous whiff of the hypocrisies and deceptions that tend to come with privilege and the sense of Brexit as yet another chapter of the class war. In the midst of the summer confusion and conflict, it is time it was understood as such, and the real story of the last three or four years was told, of a cadre of monkeyed wreckers cynically manipulating a mess of resentments that their own politics triggered back in the 1980s, cheating their way to victory, and then attempting to bring their revolution full circle by treating millions of people 
like so much cannon fodder. I have obviously added my own emphasis. The post-2015 Labour Party would like its supporters to think it is back in the business of class politics. But having resolved to largely keep stum, yes, that's such a good word, the Labour Party, having largely kept stum about Brexit and let the government somehow destroy itself, its key voices have little to say. So basically the Labour Party has sat back, kept stum, hoped, that the, hoped and trusted that the government will destroy itself and has said very, very little. Absolutely accurate. Even if the big trade unions are formally committed to opposing Brexit, their leaders are similarly quiet. So far, in fact, I've only heard one voice eloquently and passionately tearing into the Brexit officer class, that of the backbench Tory MP, Anna Subri. I don't know her work. I think I've seen her on television. The backbench Tory MP Anna Subri, S-O-U-B-R-Y, who back in mid-July rose to her feet in the Commons, eyed her Brexiteer colleagues and cut to the quick. Quote, nobody voted to be poorer and nobody voted to leave on the basis that somebody with a gold-plated pension and inherited wealth would take their jobs away from them. Tory saying that. Mind you, there is a tradition in the Conservative Party which seldom gets spoken about, which is very plain speaking. Leave that. When I say a tradition in the Tory party, I do not mean that it is the tradition of the Tory party, but in, in, in history, it certainly has had an important place. She well knows something too many voters chose to ignore that if these people increase their influence via one of their number becoming Prime Minister, they will eventually kill traditional British conservatism for two generations at least. If these people increase their influence via one of their number becoming the Prime Minister, they will eventually kill British traditional British conservatism for two generations at least. Well, that's referring to Boris Johnson, could also be referring to Liam Fox, who might have ambitions to be Prime Minister, not sure about that. David Davis, um, although funnily enough, David Davis hasn't got mentioned here at all. David Davis was the chief negotiator uh, for the British government in relation to the EU, but now, now that's been taken over by the Prime Minister herself, Theresa May. But the left has to wake up too. But the left has to wake up too. It is the reckless right, not Blairites and centrists, that is the real enemy. Now this is important. You see, John Harris is saying that the left and the Labour Party have to stop fighting against the Blairites and centrists because that's what the left have been doing. The left have been winning back the space that the Blairites took away from them. That's another long story. But he's saying that the left have to focus, their primary focus has to be on the real enemy, the reckless right. 
If we want an end to the fear and anxiety that currently define the national mood and a future worth living for, these are the saboteurs who will have to be crushed. Wow, these are the saboteurs who will have to be crushed. This is really language that comes straight out of the, the left, out of the Marxist left. I don't know who John Harris is, but I have a tradition on the Marxist left. I, I don't live and breathe Marxist left today, but I have definitely been influenced by it in a way that I'd find difficult to put into words. The left has to wake up too. Well, the British left has a tradition of not waking up. It didn't wake up in the 1970s. It didn't wake up during Margaret Thatcher. We'll see. But it's a great piece of writing, I think. And I have to thank uh, John Harris for pulling the pieces together and with such clarity. Whether you agree or disagree with it, I think what it really does is state of focus. Basically says, look, we've got to have one key, key communication. And it is about these reckless Brexits. The people who say that, look... It's only business. And as Boris Johnson said, fuck business. Now, when you say fuck business, you do not mean, you do not achieve fuck the ruling class. You achieve a load of people out of work. Decline in standards of living. All for people who were promised, oh, we'll have a great standard of living after we leave the EU and we'll even be able to put loads and loads of money into the National Health Service of course is what people are really worried about their jobs and national health service well the word really people are worried about a whole lot of things the whole world is disturbed I'm not in a good position to report on what the predominant feelings in the EU are I'm not in a position to do that I mean, John Harris talks about the national mood and says that it's fear and anxiety. I have no reason to either trust or mistrust him. I am inclined to trust him. But I don't talk enough to people who live in the EU. And again, I want to thank my favourite political commentators, Simon and Jana, on Twitter, SM2N and JN2N, for really engaging me in conversation, to myself first of all, and occasionally with other people. Because it's so easy over here in Ireland, well, first of all, feeling cut off, and feeling that, you know, don't get anything like enough of the, the big picture here in Ireland. But also, it's too easy to, to become insular over here. And my goodness, British society, British politics, British culture is so, so interesting. And so much is at stake. Thank you, John Harris. Thank you very much for what you had to say.
I will, uh, I've added you to my new Twitter list, which is called Journalists, and I'm going to put journalists whose work I like in there in future. Anyway, there we are. And that was an, an article in The Guardian today on the 6th of August 2018. Headline, Rich, Reckless Brexit Zealots Are Fighting a New Class War.